The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, which I hope you do, turn to that small letter of Jude just preceding the book of Revelation. We're going to pick up there this morning as we've been going through the book of Jude verse by verse and look particularly at verses 5 to 7 this morning. Um, Jude had a very contemporary message in his day, and I would say that even now today, uh, it is even more contemporary and possibly relevant than it was in Jude's day. Many of you know I I love and I enjoy woodworking. Uh, It's one of my passions. I love doing it. And I've got a whole shop full of tools, and I jokingly say that when I die and my wife goes to sell all my tools, she's going to find out what I really paid for all of them. But there's one uh, in particular tool in my shop that I have that's one of my favorite. It's, it's this little thing. How many of you know what that is? It's a wood plane. And it dates back as early as some of the archaeological finds in early Rome. And so it's a tool that's been around for a long time. Now I have other tools with big motors, right? that can do the same work that this hand plane does, but it's, it's one of my favorite tools. And the illustration there is, at, in one day, it was a very contemporary tool. It's not so contemporary today, but it certainly has its uses and its purposes in my wood shop. And just like Jude's letter, while we might say, well, that was written 2,000 years ago, what relevancy does it have to us today? But it has very specific relevance to us because Jude is writing the letter. And if you remember, as Jude began his letter, he he said that there was an urgency that he needed to write this letter to these believers. He had intended to write them another letter, more extensive, about uh, the, the joy of their salvation and the commonality of, that, of their salvation. But there was a, a specific thing that arose within the church that he had an urgency. I have got to write you this small letter, and I'm going to be very pointed about it. For he says that I'm writing this letter to you because it is absolutely necessary that you as believers, as Christ followers, contend for the faith. Not just faith, but contend for the faith, the body of those things that that were contained within the faith, the gospel message of Jesus Christ, and salvation through no other one except through Jesus Christ, and a myriad of other orthodox beliefs that we hold to as a body of Christ that contain the faith. For he says, some have crept in among you. They're, they're a little sneaky. They wormed their way in among you. They wormed their way in among you within the body of Christ, within the body of believers. And as they have gotten in among you, unnoticed, he says, they've crept in. He says, they have perverted the grace of God. Meaning that they had taken the grace of God and they had it extended, had extended it to such that we all know God is a gracious God. Can you say amen to that? God is full of grace and He extends His grace. However, we are not to take advantage of the grace of God, meaning that, that I know God has said this, and I know God's a gracious God, so I'm going to go ahead and continue to do this, and I know His grace is going to cover everything. And they had perverted the grace of God into, he says, sensuality, manners that were 
that, that were appealing to the sensual nature of man and condoning those things rather than standing on the Word of God, and this is what God says, and we are not to participate in those. These, these false teachers had crept in and said, listen, it's really okay because the grace of God is going to cover it, right? You got a free ticket. You punched your ticket into heaven, so therefore, and they even go to the extent of denying Jesus Christ. And they may say, yes, Jesus existed, Yes, Jesus was a good man. Jesus had some good teachings that, that we ought to listen to and follow, but they denied the person of Jesus Christ, that He was God, very God, the Son of God, and God's, God's means by which we might be saved. And so they would deny all that. Just as there were false teachers in Jude's day, uh, there are false teachers today. I reminded us a couple of weeks ago that Jesus said that there will be there. There'll, there'll be wolves in sheep's clothing, and, and they come in into the sheep pen where the body of Christ is, but they don't come through the door, which he illustrated. He was the door. They come in by another means, and they are there that they might ravage the sheep, the body of Christ. And as urgent as Jude's warning was in that day, Maybe it's because I live in this day. I see that it is an urgent warning to the body of Christ today. And I would be remiss if I didn't warn us about the current false teachers and the current false teachings that are out there leading thousands astray, particularly, I believe, in the church in America and the revived England and in Australia as well. And so there are false teachers today doing the same things that, that Jude warned this early body about. You see, these false teachers in Jude's day, just like in our day today, are heretics, meaning that, that they take the body of doctrine of Scripture and they pervert it and twist it to say whatever they want it to say so that they might tickle itching ears, as Paul says, who are wanting to hear whatever may satisfy them. Secondly, Jude demonstrates that they were apostates. Now, an apostate is simply one of this, one who has departed from the faith, departed from following after God, and have left the faith. And he says, they were among you, but they were really apostates. I read this week a quote that I want to share with you. Uh, speaking of the teaching or the message of the Word of God. By the way, let me, in parentheses here, uh, I am a pastor. We have other pastors here on staff. The Bible, as John write, as uh, Paul writes in 1 Timothy and Titus, the pastor, uh, we use other words, bishop, elder, and the primary role of the pastor or the shepherd in the body of Christ is to guard the integrity of the Word of God. You see, it's not my role or my responsibility to tell you my opinion. You know what I think about my opinion. I tell you all the time, you can take it, leave it, chunk it, or flush it. It matters only to me. But it's the Word of God that is inspired by God as God led men along. And the Bible claims that it is the Word of God. And we believe that it is the Word of God here. It's not for us to pick and choose what we want to follow in it. It's not for us to try to dissect and say, well, you know, that's, that's not in keeping with contemporary thinking. No, it is the Word of God. Can everybody say amen to that? 
And so if you ask me, Jamo, what's your opinion on this? My answer is going to be, well, let's see what the Word says. Because the Word of God should govern my thought. The Word of God should, should govern my life, how I live my life. But this quote says this, There are men who have a message and use the Bible to support their message. In other words, they have their idea, they have a message that they want to get out, and they cherry-pick portions of the Bible to try to support their message to say whatever they want the Bible to say. But he went on to say that there are men whose message is the Bible and use illustrations to support the message of the Bible. Folks, this is the message that we have to proclaim. There are three ways that, that this happens, three words that I don't want you to get confused on. But when we talk about Bible interpretation, there, there are three ways. One, there, there's, there's an exegesis of the Word of God. That's what we practice here, is that we take the Bible and we exegete it and we say, this is what God says, here's how we're to interpret that, and here's how we're to make application of that in our lives. You see, the opposite of that would be one who practices isogesis. You know what isogesis is? Isogesis is that I have an opinion or a thought in my mind, and I'm going to impose my opinions and my thoughts on the Word of God. You see, exegesis is how God intended. Exegesis is the way that Jude is writing this letter. I thought of a third one this week after I was watching several uh, different preachers on, on uh, YouTube this last week that, that I call it narcissus. In other words, there's, there's that narcissism. They think they're the greatest thing since sliced bread, and they try to fit everything to elevate them rather than to elevate God. I came up with a twisting of the Word of God that sometimes we, we see often used. He says, I can do all things through, what's the verse say? The change of that would be, I can do all things through a verse out of context. <laughs> right? So I, I want to put, put it zeroed in on this morning that the Bible is our authority. It's God's Word. And we hear it, and, and I'll be the first to admit, there are some things that are hard to hear in the Bible. Anybody else with me? I don't like that. God, is there another way? Well, God, I think maybe in, in, in more evolved thinking today, is that right? No, 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 no. I've got to come back. This is what the Bible says. Otherwise, there's no authority in anything we say. This last week, I, I spent several hours um, looking at people who are popular preachers in, in our nation today, in, in the Christian world today. Now, I, I've got to warn you, some of you are going to be offended at a few names that I mentioned. I put that warning out there, okay? Don't send me an email, unsigned. If you want to talk about it, I'll be glad to sit and talk with you one-on-one. -on -one. But it alarms me when, when I look at the body of Christ. And I'm not using this to try to bash other people to make myself look any better. You can't improve on this, right? <laughs> but there's some popular teachers out there with messages that are so heretical, it, it shocks me to see the number of peoples that are, people that are following after them without giving any discernment whatsoever to the message that they preach. This week, I, I took some time to listen to Paula White. You're familiar with who Paula White is? 
Well, let me, she is the spiritual advisor to our president today. Paula White is a false prophet. She, she spats so much that is so heretical. It's, it, it, it shocks me. I can't believe it. And, and the frightening thing about it, I think for political alignment, what shocked me was after her latest book came out, she's one of those health, wealth, prosperity, sleep with anybody you want to kind of preachers. And what shocked me were leading evangelicals in our nation that came out immediately endorsing her book. They later recanted their endorsement, but I see that as a mingling of a, of a political party in the body of Christ. And can I tell you this? That if we repeat the same mistake we make in the 80s, we'll be much, much worse off 20 years from now. You see, God did not call the body of Christ to get in bed with any political party. We are of another kingdom. We are citizens of another kingdom. And this is our direction in that kingdom. All right, I offended some of you. Let me go to the next offense here. One of the most popular nation pastors today is a guy by the name of Stephen Furtick of Elevation Church. And they flock to him to the droves. And as you listen to his message, you realize that he, is, he takes more passages and makes an allegorical meaning out of them and tries to apply them to anything and everything. And he is so far off. And there are droves that are following after him. Have you heard of Bethel Church out in, in California? Bill Johnson. Another one who, who would claim that prophecy today is, is as, is, out of his mouth is as inspired as the original writers of Scripture. Folks, can I tell you that it's just, it's just leading so many well-intended believers down the wrong path to believe anything that they might say. I could go on, but I'm not going to do that. All I want to say is this. If it if it because it looks popular, because it looks new, because it, it has has the the appearance of, of man, this is so cool. Beware because wolves come in sheep's clothing and Satan is an angel. He's he masquerades as an angel of light. We need to be aware of those. Now we get to the book of Jude. Jude begins to tell us that in comparing that that there are apostates in his days, and he begins to warn his readers that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And just as he judged those who were apostate in the past, he will also judge these heretics and these apostates and many that follow after them and promote what they do. And the first example that he's going to give to us, he's going to Take us back to the children of Israel. Look in verse 5. He says this, Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Now what he's speaking of here is when God had delivered the nation of Israel out of captivity into Egypt. And we know the story of the Exodus, the plagues in Egypt. And and God delivered them out of captivity. And God had given a promise to Abraham that he was going to fulfill through the people after he led them out of Egypt, that he would take them into a promised land because he had chosen them to be his people. And if they would trust God, he would take them into this land so they, they might go in and possess the land. 
And early on, right out of the exodus out of Egypt, they're standing there on the cusp of entering into the promised land. Some people think they wandered around for 40 years and then went in the no. God took them right out and said, here it is, here's the promised land. So do you remember the story? They stopped and they they paused for a little bit and they said, let's send spies into the land to see, to spy out, to see how big the armies are, to see if the land is really as rich as God has said it is. And so they sent 12 spies in and the 12 spies came back and they reported back to Moses and Aaron. Do you remember that there were 10 of the spies that said, whoa, wait a minute, there are some big dudes in that land. There's no way we can take possession of it. But there were Joshua and Caleb of the younger part of that group that came out of Egypt. And they said, no, wait a minute. The land is absolutely flowing with milk and honey. And it has grapes this big. We can surely take it, not on our own strength, but because God has promised it and we want to follow Him, we can go in and take the land. And the rest of the people rebelled against Moses and Aaron and said, we're not going to go in. And God was angry with that generation. And God judged that generation, and as a result of them refusing God, refusing to obey God, they rejected not only God's promise, but they rejected God Himself. And so for 40 years, 38 to be exact, they wandered around in the desert, and God's judgment was that not a one of you of the generation that came out that are 20 years old and above will see the promised land because you have failed to believe me and you have failed to follow me. They were apostate. How do I mean they were apostate? They departed from the promise of God. They departed from following after God and trusting Him where He had made a covenant with them to be His God and they would be His people. And the warning is, just as the Israelites were apostates and they rebelled against God, you can too as well. Paul writes of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If you have your Bible, turn there with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Verses 1 to 11. This is one of those mornings where your fingers are going to do the walking through the pages of your Bible. I love hearing Bible pages turn. So make as much noise doing it as you can. Now, if you've got your iPhone, you don't count. (laughs) Just teasing. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul writes this, beginning in verse 1. I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, And they passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness." Now, these things took place as examples to us that we may not desire evil as they did. He goes on to give a list of reasons why God was displeased. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not, number one, indulge in sexual immorality, as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. Number two, we must not put Christ to the test, as they did. 
They put God to the test. How did they put God to the test? By rebelling against Him and not being obedient to Him. Number three, nor grumble as some of them did and were (laughs) destroyed by the destroyer. We never grumble, do we? (laughs) Grumble against God is what he's saying. He goes on to say this. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. You see, God has given that to us, and Jude's saying, listen, Christian, be careful. There's an example written back in that old ancient book. Let that be an example so that we don't depart from the faith and become apostate. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews uh, says in chapter 3, Hebrews chapter 3. Take a left from the book of Jude, Hebrews chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. The writer says this, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. You know how you and I apply that? That any one of us can become deceived by the hardening of our hearts. And so he gives that as a warning. As the children of Israel had a hard heart against God, weren't willing to obey Him and turn from Him, the warning is there to us as well. The second illustration that he uses is that of the angels. Look in verse 6. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, He has kept he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Two passages you can write in your notes and go and look at them later, uh, where it gives the account of how Lucifer rebelled against God, and it's believed that he led the worship in the throne of God, and that he desired such the honor, such the worthiness, such the glory that God was receiving from the angels, and he wanted that for himself. He rebelled against God along with a third of the angels, and God judged them in that. Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 11 and 19. But listen to this. There were reasons why God judged the angels. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. 2 Peter Chapter 2, verse 4. By the way, it's a very similar passage as to what Jude writes in his letter. 2 Peter, chapter 2, verse 4. Uh, he says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. So if, if, he, didn't, if he didn't let the angels off, the angels, just like the children of Israel, were a chosen body of beings that God had created that they might have favor in His sight to worship Him around the throne, to be there, to be ministering agents of His. And they gave all that up because there were two things they desired. They desired power and they desired lust. 
You see, they wanted the power and the authority that God, only God, has. And when they rose up against that to take the place of God, He judged them. You say, Jamo, how do you get lust in this part of the verse? Well, if we go back to Jude, look what he says beginning in verse 7. Uh, He says in verse 6, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah, the just as. And we know with Sodom and Gomorrah, we're going to look at the story in just a minute, but, but it was filled with all manners of perversion, sexual perversion that, that God had forbidden. And just in that, the angels lusted as well. We find the account in, in the book of Genesis, chapter 6, and you can look at this later. Chapter 6, verse 4, that just before God destroyed the earth through Noah... And it says that the angels came, and I, this is a PG statement, so moms and dads, if you want to cover the kids, if, ears of your kids, that's okay, but it's in the Word, okay? It had become so perverse, man had become so perverse that the angels came and they had sexual relationships with women. We believe that that was probably the Nephilim that were, that were a result of that. We're not sure, and there's a lot of debate about that. But needless to say that that what they did was they came to earth and they had sexual relations with women. And this was an absolute perversion of what God's order was. And as a consequence, a result of that, God judged them to eternal damnation. Now, the last example he uses here is Sodom Sodom and Gomorrah. He says in verse 7, just as... Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desires, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Again, he uses these three examples of those who turned from God, left the faith, if you will, And we're leading others in that. And Jude says, listen, just as God, if He didn't spare them, He's not going to spare the the, the apostate today. That they will get theirs in the end. Now, can I say this? It's not mine and your job to condemn or to, to, um, to judge, to condemnation those. We have to leave that up to God. Amen? You see, I can't judge anybody. Why? Because I stand just as guilty as the next man, and so do you. Only God can judge, but but mark it down, God will judge. He cannot, because He is a just God, He cannot leave sin unchecked. Genesis chapter 18 records, uh, beginning in chapter 18 through uh, chapter 19, records the instance of of, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. If you have your Bible, you can turn there with me. I'm just going to talk through the incident, though. In Genesis chapter 18, we we find that that Lot, who was Abraham's nephew, uh, and he had had realized there was not enough land where they were, so they were going to split ways, and, and one would take one area of land and the other would take the other, and Lot went down to the valley where Sodom and Gomorrah were. And Lot is living there in that city, and, and the, lot, the, 
only a hundred years after, note this, only a hundred years after the flood. It's amazing. A dog certainly returns to his vomit, doesn't it? Only a hundred years after the flood, we see all manners of things happening in Sodom and Gomorrah that were just as they were in the days of Noah. And so Lot goes to the city there of, of Sodom, and, and, and God tells Abraham, Abraham, I'm about to judge this city, and I'm going to wipe out everybody in this city because it has gotten so perverse that that's the only way that I can take care of it. And so Abraham begins to plead with God, and he says, God, surely if there are 50 righteous people in the city, you'll not destroy it. And God said, no, if I find 50 in the city, I won't destroy it. And so Abraham thinks, he says, well, well, God, maybe if there's five less than 50, maybe if there's 45, will you still destroy it? And God says, no, if I find 45 righteous within the city, I won't destroy it. He goes from 45, and then Abraham bargains with God a little bit more. He says, God, if you find 30, then surely you wouldn't destroy it. God forbid that the righteous would suffer with the unrighteous. And God says, no, if there's 30, I won't destroy it. And he says, well, God, if there's 20, will you still, will you, will you, will you relent your wrath and your judgment? And God says, yeah, I will. And then Abraham gets down to 10. And he says, God, if there are 10... God says, yeah, if there's ten, I won't destroy it. And the only ones that were found righteous in God's eyes in that city were Lot and his family. And so God sends the two angels there that are going to begin to execute judgment on the city. And as the angels come, Lot meets them, and he says, hey, guys, you're here. I I want to invite you to my house I want to prepare a meal, and I want you to enjoy the company of my family. They said, no, we're, we'll, we'll, we'll stay here in the town square. And Lot pleads with them and says, no, please come to my house. And they relent, and they go to Lot's house. And no sooner had they gotten there that the book of Genesis tells us that all the men of the city, verse 4 of chapter 19, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded their house. And they're crying out to Lot in the night, and they're saying, bring them out, these men, these angels to us, that we may know them, in order that, in other words, that, that we might have sexual relations with them. And Lot, trying to get the men to go away, says, listen, I have two young virgin daughters, and I'll give them to you if, if you'll just not disrespect me in my home by taking my guests to your own pleasure. And they refused that and they didn't want it. And all of a sudden the angels rescued them, get Lot and his family out of the city, and God destroys the city. What's the message there? That God will judge the apostate just as he judged Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, i got to be honest with you, this is not one of those messages whereby I win friends and influence people. We have the same thing happening today, and, and, it's, and it's very alarming, that in the body of Christ, when you follow many of these apostates today, they have given in to the same message of immorality that the men in Sodom and Gomorrah had given in to. We have whole denominations now who are pressured by the ideas of the world 
and the more evolving thought process that says regardless of what one's sexual preference is, we see that they should be ordained as ministers of the gospel. Regardless of one, what one says that they are, regardless of what sexual identity they take on, and, and you're soon going to see five different ways that you can check for information on a box what you are. Now, I'm saying this in all love and grace. Please don't. I'm not trying to be one of those hellfire and brimstone guys who's saying, Judge the queer! But God has set very clearly in His Word what His design and His purpose is in marriage and in union. It's one man, one woman. And anything outside of that is a perversion of the order of God. Hey, I get it. Some people might struggle with how they identify. In grace, I want to be able to try to share with them God's love and His Word. And while they have a struggle in that, that, that it, it, it's, it's, it's a deviation of what God's intention is between one man and one woman. Not too long ago, I was having coffee with a good friend of mine. And um, he is a, he's a homosexual. And he expected that once he gave me that information that I was no longer going to have anything to do with him. I said, man, I knew that three months ago. I said, well, let me tell you, I don't care how you identify yourself. You are created in the image of God just like I was. But you have been infected and affected by sin just as I was. Maybe not in the same manner. I mean, I was a whoremonger. I don't know the difference. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The beautiful thing about the gospel is, is that in our sin, God desires that that we turn to Him and acknowledge Be willing to turn from that and accept God's provision as a payment of our sin regardless of what that sin is. And the blood of Jesus cleanses and forgives and then He fills us with the Holy Spirit so that we might have power against the temptation of sin. He shared with me, He says, you know, I think I was born this way. And I said, I don't know, I'm not a scientist. I don't know. But I said, listen, I was born a heterosexual with certain sexual drive, but that doesn't give me license to participate in that in anywhere outside of my relationship with my wife. Some of you are blushing right now. We're in a dangerous place in the body of Christ where where we tend to go after that which seems to satisfy the cravings of our flesh. Don't be deceived by that. Because underlying all of that, I don't care how good it feels, I don't care how great it looks, it will never sustain the deep 
desire we have in our hearts to know the living God and be known in Him. Four quick things, and I promise not to make a sermon out of the application. I was at a men's event the other night, and there were three preachers involved in it. That's dangerous. And I said, only a preacher can turn an announcement into a sermon. (laughs) Four quick applications. How do we apply this in our lives? Number one is this. Know, study, and obey the Word of God. If you're depending on my 30 minutes on Sunday morning, it's not going to get. If you're depending on a podcast you listen to every day, it's not going to get it. Dig and study and know the Word of God. When we know the Word of God, we'll be like those that, that were Bereans that Paul commended them because they took everything that Paul said and they searched the Scriptures daily to see whether or not Paul was teaching and preaching the Word of God. Know your Bible. Men, dads, you're the priest of your home. It's your responsibility to lead your family in that. Can I say amen to that? Take up the mantle and let's do it. Number two is this. Don't be drawn by, by what, you, what appeals to the flesh. I've already said that. Number three, make church life a priority in your life. And I know we're in COVID, and, but, but corporate worship, whether it be in present or online, make it a priority. Sit the family down in that hour. And engage in the Word of God. Miss Vicky goes through great pains every week writing uh, this family worship guide. And I told her this morning, I said, I'm going to have you start writing the family worship guide, and then I'll get a message from that and preach it on Sunday morning. But some great tools that Miss Vicky puts together every week so that you can use that with your family. Number four, and I would say this, back to Paul's encouragement exhortation in first corinthians chapter 10 12 he says therefore let anyone thinks he stands be careful lest he fall let's close in prayer father we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace god we thank you for your word to us god i pray that we would take to heart the words that Jude has written of. God, I pray you'd give us great discernment in the body of Christ. And that, God, we would, we would have a, a very keen ear to hear what might be heresy or apostasy. And, God, I pray for the body. God, I pray for the sheep. I pray for me, God, that we would not be led astray and that, God, we would be watchful of our own lives. God, lest we be led astray as well God we thank you for your goodness God we thank you for your grace and I pray for anybody that's listening or watching today God that, that may be in bondage to some of these things God that Lord you would set them free and they would be free indeed by the blood of Jesus God, any who might be believers and and struggle, God, with the previous lifestyle, God, I pray that, God, you would shower your grace and your power on them, God. And, Father, for us as a body, God, 
we want to be obedient to your word, but, but God, in that part of that obedience is to love our neighbor, and that's every neighbor. God, not to condemn and to judge, God, that, that alone belongs to you and not to us. God, let us be an extension of you, Lord Jesus, as you live your life through us, and we might display your grace and your love and your mercy to them with a hope and a prayer that they come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Lord, we love you, we bless you, we magnify you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.